All right, tonight's lesson, The Curse of Sin. Uh, brief survey, uh, obviously our, our theme this year is uh, the theme of the Bible uh, from start to finish, the main components. It's good to have everyone on tonight, including some of our former members. I saw the Nettles a little bit earlier, uh, saw some folks from other congregations. We had a good chunk of the Oakdale congregation with us this morning. Saw Tinky and Herb and Debbie Kane, I think, uh, from Folsom. But uh, it's good to have every everybody with us. Saw some folks from Vacaville. Um, we we know that that something is is fundamentally not right with our existence, and it's not just the current uh, few weeks of craziness here with this virus going around. But fundamentally, we've not been right from uh, the time of Adam and Eve. Uh, there has been a, a curse on the existence of humanity since then. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, who was a Baptist preacher in the 1800s, said, sin is a thief. It will rob your soul of its life. It will rob God of his glory. Sin is a murderer. It stabbed our father, Adam. It slew our purity. Sin is a traitor. It rebels against the king of heaven and earth. And so what we're going to look at very briefly tonight is a history of the curse of sin. And I want to do it from three chapters in the Bible, three passages. We'll look at past, present, and future. And so we have uh, past, Genesis 3, a uh, peak at the present, Romans chapter 8, and a short glimpse at the future, Revelation 21 and 22. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on any one of these passages, but just want to make some observations about the continuity between past, present, and, and future. As far as the past is concerned, if you'll turn with me to Genesis 3, we have in, in Genesis 3, 6, and 7, as Eve is being tempted, and she in turn shares that temptation moment with Adam. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What we have here is the beginnings of guilt working itself out. They have a new awareness. They see themselves as naked for the first time, and they begin to cover themselves. And then God appears into the picture, and you have this confrontation with their personal guilt. And uh, initially, they're in denial. They play the blame game and then eventually realize how heavy the consequences of this really are. They come face to face with those consequences. And so beginning with verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the fruit of the tree, and I ate. 
Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. I think what is happening here is similar to what happens anytime when, when bad news hits. I think in, in, in recent months, a lot of folks have been in denial about the possible negative consequences of what we're now experiencing in the world. And so what, what often happens in such times is, first of all, uh, people live in denial, and then they're confronted with a degree of reality, and then they begin to, to feel the full effect of that. They even panic, and then panic will give way to hysteria. And that's what we see in the in the world all around us. And in Adam and Eve's case, they uh, hide themselves, they cover themselves, they realize that they're in a difficult situation, and it's kind of like asking a doctor who, who delivers bad news, "Well, how bad is it?" And it begins to gradually sink in on them, and they don't really want to confront the full force of that, but that God forces that issue. And uh, they realize, again, how heavy these consequences really are. And in the remainder of Genesis chapter 3, we read about the curse of sin. And it's, it's nothing to, uh, to take very lightly. Uh, in verses 14 and 15, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so here we have uh, earth becoming a war zone. You have the seed of woman and the seed of the serpent, and a war going on, and uh, human beings be, being caught in the, the crossfire of all of that. And you have the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, as Paul calls them in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, doing battle ultimately with Jesus Christ, the seed of woman. They would experience a head blow from which they would never recover and in turn deliver a heel blow, which we see uh, Jesus experiencing in his death on the cross. There would also be pain in childbearing in verse 16. Uh, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And so there are implications here of, uh, of the terrible pain that, that, that women must bear in, in childbearing and the multiplication of that pain. There are implications here for consequences, long-term consequences in gender relations. And we see the headship of, of man over woman. And along with that, in a, a sinful environment, oftentimes uh, women have received the brunt of abusive uh, treatment at the hands of, of men along with that. We see cursed ground in uh, verses 17 and, and 18. Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. And so we have the, the ground not uh, 
easily uh, giving sway to, to, to Adam, but you have this cursed ground, you have thorns, you have thistles, you have pain, you have sorrow, you have the sweat of the brow. In verse uh, 19, uh, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You have the ultimate penalty of uh, spiritual death and physical death. Uh, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. I believe they died uh, spiritually that very day by eating of the forbidden fruit. And ultimately they would die physically. And along with that, all the curses that we see on planet earth, um, the misery, the sorrow, disease, ultimately the, the aging process, death, nothing uh, uh, pretty or, or nice about it. But what this does is it sets the stage for repeat occurrences in every generation. You have uh, a little bit later on in uh, the time of Noah, chapter six and verse five, that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You have in verse 11 of chapter six, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. And then even after the flood in chapter eight and verse 21, uh, when God uh, or when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. So God would never do this again, but what's done is done, and the damage has lasting after effects. And it's no secret uh, that we're not living in the Garden of Eden anymore. We live in a very selfish, narcissistic, sinful, disease-ridden value or veil of sorrows, tears, and death here upon the earth which uh, brings us to the bridge between Genesis 3 and Genesis 8. Because those after effects of a cursed existence are still with us. And what happened in Genesis 3 changed the equation forever on planet Earth. And uh, what we see in, Gen in Romans chapter 8 is what might be called a new normal, a cursed world in which we now um, live. And so what uh, the Apostle Paul says, basically in summarizing um, part of the, the second half there, especially verses 18 through 25, is that we live in a, in a world full of suffering and glory uh, must wait. Uh, verse 18, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would, will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. 
And so with patience, we must wait because the Earth and the entire existence on planet Earth now is a cursed existence. Uh, so we ought not to get too comfortable in the here and now in this hostile environment. There's been a lot of recent talk about uh, from SpaceX and other companies about sending human beings to Mars. And when I think about, you know, sending human beings to Mars, one of the first things that, that comes to my mind is that the human beings were not made to, to live there. It would not be their normal habitat. And once they get there, they can never come back. Uh, there's no oxygen, there's no water to speak of, uh, at least as far as I know. Uh, some of the, the conveniences we, we take for granted on planet Earth are, are not there. It, it's a very hostile environment. They would have to live under artificial conditions. And, um, and you know, I've done some thinking about that, and that's kind of like Earth. Our existence on planet Earth right now is not what Adam and Eve had before sin entered the world. And it's very difficult for us to get our minds around, perhaps, but the existence that we have on planet Earth was never what we were intended to have. This is cursed through and through, and we've never lived on a planet that is free from the curse of sin. And so it, it's hard for us to even imagine what that would, would be like. But Paul uses several terms here. He uses terms like bondage, corruption, pain, groaning. That's the nature of our existence. So if we should experience some of these things in recent weeks, for example, and look at all the pain and the suffering in the world, that's been the lot of human beings ever since Adam and Eve brought sin into the world. We also have in verse 35, the additional factor that children of God have in this wicked world of being on the outside of society, tribulation, distress, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. So again, this is not this is not uh, that great an existence. We, we, it may be the only existence that we know, but it's not natural. It's not our natural habitat. And so what the Lord has done in the present is given us the ability to cope by giving us this unbelievable hope for the future. And uh, it is a genuine hope that we have in relationship to this divine intervention Again, in verses 24 and 25, for in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. If we have something better to hope for, we can endure almost anything, including the bondage, corruption, the pain, the groaning, the suffering of this, of this present age. And so Paul again says in verse 18 that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We know that we've got that glory waiting for us. And we've got down, a down payment in, uh, in, in many respects of, of this coping power that God has given us. 
to help fill the gap in between as we go through the, the suffering uh, of this life and this cursed existence that we have. So I think some of my favorite passages in the entire Bible are found in verse 26 through the end of this chapter, and I'd like to read them with you. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not with him also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of, of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Notice those last five words of the chapter, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. All of these blessings, freedom from sin, prayer help of the Holy Spirit, intercession from Jesus, promise of victory, all of these things are found only, only in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I don't know how bad this is going to get. I think it's already bad enough. I, wanted it, I want it to end tomorrow. I'll tell you something. What people desperately need to hear right now is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What people desperately need is freedom from sin, divine help, divine intercession, and promise of victory. And it's the only thing that will fix a cursed existence here upon planet Earth. We need to focus on the glory of God. And as Janice Wise once said, as the light of the moon is swallowed up by the brightness of the sun, so the shining achievements of men and women are swallowed up by the glory of God. Which leads us to the bridge between Romans 8 and Revelation 21 and 22. Again, the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the glories to follow. As a fourth and fifth century preacher, Christostom once said, if one man should suffer all the sorrows of all the saints in the world, yet they are not worth one hour's glory in heaven. 
and we have that waiting for us. We have a dwelling place of God that comes with men. In Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. No more tears. No more death. No more moaning. No more crying. No more pain. Can it really be? Yes, yes, it will be. Evil and its terrible consequences will be a thing of the past. In verse 6, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be by the lake, in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. There'll be no bad people there. Satan and his allies will be thrown into the lake of fire. Chapter 20 and verse 10. And then down in chapter 21, beginning with verse 22. We read that I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And the gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nation. But nothing unclean will enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Not only will be evil and its terrible consequences a thing of the past, no evil or evil people will be allowed in. The garden paradise that was lost at Eden will be restored. Chapter 22, beginning with verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal. I want you to, to try to picture this in your mind's eye. Bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. 
They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. I want you to note especially verse 3. As we bring all this to a close, no longer will there be anything accursed. The curse will be gone forever and ever and ever. And for the very first time in our entire existence, we will know what it is like to live life as it was meant to be lived, free of curse. The past, the present, and the future. It's hard to imagine living a life in which we have fundamental differences between the only existence that we've ever experienced. But we'll have no curse. This life is a life where evil is alive and well. This life, this earth is a life in which God is mocked. Our existence here upon the earth is where bad things happen. But all those things will be eliminated. And so I would encourage each of us don't invest your most valuable assets in this life or on this earth, or you'll be sorely disappointed when they crash and burn. Invest heavenly treasure in a heavenly home where the curse will be no more, where there will be no death, no dying, no pain, no crying, where the old things have passed away, where God has made all things new, once more in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 21. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen.